um, I think we should get going. Yeah, let's just yeah, let's just do it. So, um, first off, Is I've got recording. A... Oh, yeah, it's been oh, okay. recording for ages. Oh shit! Okay. Yeah, you've let yourself go there, James. You've yeah. said something inappropriate. On no, the I haven't. I would have said something funnier if I'd have known we were recording. Uh, so, I've got a question for everyone: true or false? Mm. Yep. In New Zealand, yep. the locals call it a beer house, not a pub. It's a Fowled Rockstar Club. True or false? Uh, that can't be true. Yeah, because they're... Oh, it's a great they're going to the beer house. No, pub. Fogel? Do you reckon? Sure, it's false. I've got an Australian friend and she's never mentioned anything like that. And I feel like if it was a thing, it'd yeah. be, at least at least they'd mention it. Yeah, no, it's got, surely it's false. It. I just made it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, literally just then. Literally just then just oh, made okay. it up. That's well, impressive. <laughs> Yeah. Too, I'm almost too good at lying. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, hi everyone, welcome to Fouled Rockstar Club podcast, the podcast that talks to musicians about music, mental health, and their journey in music. Now, today we. Are you a musician? No, I'm a manager. So, so. Okay, so we have a, we have a band manager. On yeah, today. we're going to explore a part of the sort of industry that we haven't really talked about. Talked about. No, what we do, we normally slag it off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So we we're always let down by managers. So. So, before we get going then, Jez, can you tell everyone who we are, where we are, and how can you find us? Of course I can do all of that, Steve. Uh, that's Steve. Steve and Robert Hurdle, BA Honours. I'm me. Jez, Jeremy Peter Dixon. No BA Honours. We are here in our warehouse in Manning Tree. We're back, back in here. Mm-hmm. Our spiritual home. Very much the Venice of East Anglia. Yeah. Uh, and obviously you can find us at uh, 40 Old Lane when we reopen, which will be very soon, and all the World Wide Web places. Just Google Best Days Vintage and you'll find us. That's us. We're very much on the borders, aren't we? The borders of Essex. We're radio yeah. borders. Straddling. Straddling two, great, two fine counties. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest counties in the yep, UK. God's, God's country around here. Yeah. God's green country. Nice right-wing racist. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, plenty of gammon in the village. Yeah. Okay, so um, can yeah, and um, we are speaking today with Fergal Looney. Yes. Yes. Um, who we've we, we haven't really I don't we've never really met properly, have we? But you've no. met Jez before, right? Yes, I've been in I've been into the uh, into the shop a few times. I used to I went to Colchester Grammar, so I've been uh, around Colchester quite a few years, and I popped in a couple of times uh, about Saint Castle Jesus. So. I'm, I'm fairly familiar with the shop. I think I've met Jed a few times uh, in passing, but uh, yeah, no, big fan. Of, I'm a big fan of the shop, absolutely, and the and the podcast in general. I've heard a few of the episodes. Obviously, um, you had Saint Castle Jesus on, who I manage, so mm-hmm. that was a fun one to listen to. That was a 
really good one. They, I think they did really well on that. Um, yeah. They came across really well, and yeah, it was a. It was a, a good version. The song they did as well it was a good version of it as well. I thought. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's the first time that they've ever played it like that. Was when they played it on the uh, podcast with you. Mm-hmm. So uh, we were well. We didn't really know how it was going to go, but uh, it sounded really, really good. Really pleased with it, so uh, we'll we'll see whether they try that one again or not. We really uh, like it because we get a chance to kind of talk to... Because they come in a shop as hunters as well as like being musicians. And so they come in like when they're not in band mode and they're just coming in just to hang out. So it's kind of nice to kind of speak to them in band mode I guess like on professional duty mm. and have that kind of like slightly different kind of yeah, relationship it was a different experience feel. it was a different feel to the conversation yeah. wasn't it yeah. than if we were just talking to them in the shop about rubbish I mean we still talk rubbish but yeah. professional rubbish yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah Fran was really really keen on doing it because she's um, she comes in a lot and uh, she yeah. specifically said when we set it up she was like that's the one I really want to do I really oh. want to go on the, uh, the podcast is on the, the failed rockstar club with that's you guys. That's because she's, so, heard, uh, she's heard we're big in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's heard that. <laughs> yeah. Apart from it's the Japanese people. Really nice, right? <laughs> yeah. Not the good people in Japan. You know? yeah. Don't know it. Don't know it yet. Um, okay, actually, funnily enough, funnily enough, I've actually got a question from a regular Japanese listener. Mm-hmm. Um, What's their name? Oh, Dexter. Hush. Sorry, my dog's here and he's decided to start barking. Um, so they want to know um, for you mainly Jez but you can answer as well Fergal mm-hmm. fashion seems to be very important oh. to you yep you can tell by my cardigan well yeah <laughs> and obviously we all know from the last couple of episodes that you are very keen on pyjama type trousers mm-hmm. yep <laughs> what sort of season this is an official question so uh, what is your favourite season <laughs> And why? For, for fashion. season. Oh, for yeah. fashion. Well, it's definitely autumn. Okay. I'd say because jackets are my favourite uh, type of garment. Yeah. And you can start to bring the jackets out. They're my poison. They're my weakness. Ooh. And I don't think summer's very good for... The uh, apple to your Adam. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> summer's not very good for men. Because you want to wear a vest, but they never really look good, especially on gentlemen of our age. Okay. So I like it when it starts to get a bit cooler and you can uh, whip out a jacket, personally, and la- yeah. start layering up. I think that looks good on a man. Oh. What about you, Fogel? Ah, mm. uh, well, I mean, see, uh, my thing with fashion is, uh, what I would like to wear is way out of my budget. So I'm sort of straddling that kind of weird line. Like, Harry Styles' fashion is mm-hmm. my, like, per- like, I think he dresses oh. incredibly. But obviously, uh, I don't really have the budget for Gucci, so uh, I'm trying to sort of balance you, that. Um, so you're a fan of that, Sorry, you're a fan of that sort of androgynous look, then, are you? That kind of yeah. The, I mean, he wears some quite uh, exciting, um, out there kind of things, like a lot of suits. But like, he wears them in a, uh, a very interesting way, and he's got. I mean, some of the stuff he's worn in the last sort of twelve months has been amazing. Like, just really cool looking stuff. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I quite like early summer when it's, like, warm enough to sort of wear anything, yeah. but not too hot that you can't wear anything. Mm-hmm. It's sort of that nice middle ground. You get, like, a month or so where anything really goes. So I'm quite a fan of that because it just gives you options. You can mix it up. Um, whereas, I mean, now I went out to Dave without a coat and it was a nightmare. Oh. Really, really bad decision. So, uh, yeah, I, li- I like the comfort of 
being able to wear anything and not being worried about it being too hot or too cold. So yeah, there's a. I don't know. I don't know exactly what season that falls under. It's kind of <sighs> late spring. Let's late, spring. late spring. Yeah. 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 Late spring. I think. Last yeah. stage of spring. Yeah, because we we've always had conversations about Harry Styles, haven't we? Quite regularly about whether or not it's it's fair because he it feels like he's styled to within an inch of his life by somebody else. I don't, I don't know that. It just uh, when is he it? He does have a guy. Yeah, he has a guy. Uh, Alessandro <laughs> Michel is a friend of it. Like they're really good friends, but he's he's from he's like a designer at Gucci, and he does all of Harry's stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean that is true. It, yeah, it kind of takes the edge off for me. It's like yes, he look he dresses so well and he looks amazing at all times. But is it fair if he's got somebody doing it for him? We could all we could all look a million dollars if we had Alessandro dressing us. Well, that is true. Yeah, I don't yeah, think I'd look. Quite as good. I think I'd always look like shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'd, we'd never look as good as he does, but we mm. you know we'd get closer. Mm. Well, you do. You definitely look more like you're in TV mode, right? Yeah. Like someone's looking after your hair and... Yeah, just the accessories. You look yeah. as well. Oh, such good accessories. And yeah. His hair always looks yeah. so good. Well, thank you. That was um, from a regular Japanese listener, Akiro. Akiro. Okay. Yeah. And she said, I assume it's a she, that it stands in English, it means bright scholar. What, her name? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's very pretty. Yes. So well, it's an intelligent question. I hope we answered it intelligently enough. Yeah, so I, hope, yeah, I hope she had a... Because we we're number 30, well, we were, that was a few weeks ago, number 37 in the Japanese podcast charts. Oh, so wow. Since, since we brought that up, we've, that. we've been inundated with um, Japanese info. <laughs> I, would, I would assume we're probably higher than that now. If we, I, I, I haven't checked. I haven't checked, but I assume now we brought it up, we probably dropped off. <laughs> Do you think? <laughs> no, no They're like, oh, no, they mentioned us too. We preferred it when it was yeah. under the radar. Yeah. Too, too mainstream. Yeah. Uh, so, have you um, have you thought of a song of the week? Song of the week. Um, yes, I had well, I had a few of them, uh, but I think I'm going to keep the uh, the Harry Styles theme going. Actually, okay. um, it's been uh, it's been one of those. Well, I mean, we're only one day in, and it's been one of those weeks. So um, it's actually off his last album. It's Fine Line, the song that the album is named after, and it's. It's one of my favourite songs. I just think okay. it's like absolutely brilliant. Like honestly, there's nothing. It doesn't miss anything. It covers so many different genres, so many influences, and lyrically, uh, there's there's a bit. There's a constant theme, which is "We'll be all right," oh. and that kind of re- very much resonating with me right now with uh, all the center, all of the, the stuff that's going on here. So yeah, that's. Uh, Harry Styles' Fine Line is my song of the week. Nice. nice. That's a nice. Yeah, I like the fact that it's got a meaning to it as well. Mine so. has a similar <laughs> meaning. So, um, I've gone for... I just read what you've written. Beyonce, Single Ladies. <laughs> but, not, but mainly for the lyric, if you like it, put a ring on it, in it. I don't know. In it. In it. On it. If you want any bird to put a ring on it. On it. In it. Because. Yeah. In it. On it. Yeah. On it. On it. Yeah. Put uh, a ring on it. Is it on the finger? Oh. Not yeah. In it. No. <laughs> no. No. That's a whole different vibe. <laughs> anyway. I've gone for that. And that lyric in particular. Because. Um, I'm sure like our Japanese fans will have noticed that I've had, a, had my nose pierced about three months ago. 40 years old. Midlife crisis. Um, 
And I took it out last night because in my sleep I pulled it and it come loose in my nose and the sharp bit was poking my prodding me in my inside my oh, nose hole. God. And it was causing me enough fucking jip and pain and I thought, what am I fucking doing with this? Forty years old and I'm suffering a fucking nose ring. And I thought, that's it, I'm taking it out. So I took it out and I realised that in my twenties I would have accepted it because I was too busy trying to shag girls. <coughs> and now I'm forty and I'm married, I don't need the pain or the hassle. So I just took it out last night and I thought, that's it. I'm done with all this, malarkey. So no more. Until you can afford a sports car. Until I can afford leather leather trousers. Yeah. So, yeah. Good choice. Yeah, it was so fucking painful having to get my, like, kind of pull it out, like, trying to get it out of my nose and it's bleeding and... Yeah. Yeah. And and as I took it out, my wife went, yeah, I'm glad you took it out. It's rubbish. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't it a midlife crisis that looked good? No. Just a waste of time. My music's playing. Um, professionalism, is, professionalism is. So there you go. So that's um, my song of the week. Beyonce's Single Ladies. Mine uh, is going to be a song called Porcelina of the Vast Oceans by Smashing Pumpkins. Purely because yesterday I had a bit of a transcendental moment at the seaside. Mm-hmm. I went to Harwich in Essex. It was just such a beautiful day. Like the, so we went in like... Late afternoon, the sun was setting, it, there was no wind at all, and the sea was beautiful and calm. And I was sat there, leaning my back, sun on my face, and the kids were sort of, you know, mucking around on the sand in front of me. Mm-hmm. And it was just, I didn't actually physically cry, but I got all glassy-eyed and just like, had a moment of kind of... You saw a needle in the sand. Yeah. <laughs> well, I trod on a syringe, and I started crying. No, it was just a, it was just a really beautiful moment. I mean, you know, it's very rare you actually sit there and think, I'm... Grateful for what I've got, and I was—I no. was just having a, yeah, having a moment. I'm getting emotional thinking about it right now. But it was just, yeah. Okay. You got to cherish those moments when they come. They're not very often. <laughs> you know, minutes later they were really annoying me. One of them falling off a swing, <laughs> and the other one was hitting the other one. It was, you know. But yeah, it was lovely. So that's my song of the week. Okay. Let's talk about Fergal. Let's yeah. talk about Fergal, baby. So you said you went to Colchester Grammar School. Yeah. So yeah. how, let's start with, how did you end up being a music manager? Tell us about your journey. To... Uh, yeah, it's been a weird one, to be honest. Um, I was very much football focused for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was playing for Whittam Town first team when I was 18. Um, yeah, in the non-league. So I was semi-pro, but didn't get paid because I was still 18, so mm. that was annoying, but what played first team for Wisdom. The plan was always to go on to do a scholarship at UCD in Dublin, and I had a bit of a sort of, basically, I just sort of realised that it wasn't what I wanted anymore. I wasn't enjoying football as much as I used to, and I was like, I don't want the next like three to five years of my life being totally football focused, because I was just not, just didn't like it, and I'm like, well, what's the point of doing it just for the sake of a bit of money like I want to I'm going into this I want to be doing it for the right reasons so kind of decided to stop that um, and then I met someone who worked in the music industry uh, just completely chance encounter at a gig uh, there where I was the only person watching and I got chatting to him and he brought me in to do a two week internship with his 
newly started management company. Um, I just got on really well with it, really liked being involved in music. Uh, and then I got an offer from uh, a music charity to take over and do the marketing for them uh, when I, uh, like September of last year. So like a couple of months after I did my A-levels. I took it for no money. Um, so I was, I, all I got was train travel from Essex to London paid. Uh, did that for a few months, worked on some projects. Um, and then lockdown came at the start of this year. Um, well, actually, no, that's not quite true. So I joined Olympic Hall Studios in February, I think it was. Um, the per- like they is on the same site as the charity. So I'd met James, who I work with, uh, through the charity. We got on really well, and he was looking to bring someone else on board to help take the studio forward. So I came in in a very sort of broad, undefined role, which I've effectively kept up since then. Um, yeah, lockdown came, and the charity effectively said, uh, yeah, we don't want you anymore, which was lovely of them. Uh, very much appreciated that after whatever it was, like seven months of service uh most of which was for no money um so yeah that was nice of them uh and i kept working with james over lockdown we completely rebuilt everything uh and then i met sandcastle jesus through my work with the studio uh i realized my chronology is not that good at the moment especially from back then but i met sandcastle jesus during my studio work was trying to bring them into the studio to record with us Lockdown happened, we kept talking, and after like, what was it, what would it be, like a month of lockdown, I asked them, I said I'd like to manage you, I I, saw, I mean, I, I see a lot of potential in them, and we got on really well, uh, I felt like I could really help move them forward, uh, and they were up for it, so I kind of stumbled into management as I stumbled into music, sort of just with uh, a very chance encounter with them. Um and it's gone from there. So I, I did that for six months. Uh, we did Bombshells. Bombshells was brilliant. Really, really loved how uh, it sounds great. The campaign went really well. They've really stepped up from that. Um, and at that point, I was like, wow, like I'm in the, the least narcissistic way possible. Like I can do this. And like I'm, I like doing this. So I kind of just. Dedicate. I was like, right, let's do this. Like, this is what I'm going to do now because uh, I have a long-term ambition to start a record label, um, and this is kind of the first step for me. Like, do the management, get the experience, the contacts, work with the artists, build it up over the next few years, and then I'll look at starting the label once I'm secure and sort of everything is going all right. So I uh, was doing that, decided I wanted to go forward with it, and then a friend of mine from school. Um, and put out a track in like July just like a demo and I was linking up with a producer um, and that kind of had gone cold and I sat down for I had sort of a a really like a, kind of like a moment of clarity on the whole management thing and was like you know what yeah like let's do this and I sat down for a day and just wrote out a plan of like what would I do with her if I managed her and I looked at it and I was like you know what honestly I can do that and it could go really really well so I approached her and was just like I'd like to manage it and that happened um, so again yeah I mean everything that happens with me especially in music seems to be by chance and involve a lot of luck but um, we've started like, so her name's Lily 
She also went to Coastal Grammar. She is her her handle is like, like let me get it up because we, we have to get the promotion in every <laughs> possible opportunity. Cool. Uh, Lily underscore music underscore. Um, she currently has one demo on Spotify. We're working on loads of new music, loads of like some big projects coming. Really excited for what's happening with her. Um, we've got some live. We've got um, uh, her first live song on Instagram. Her first live session will be going live on Instagram this Friday, um, alongside Sandcastle Jesus's second "Get Known, Be Heard" live um, session. So she, yeah, I'm really excited for what we're doing with her. There's a lot of potential there. She's got some great songs in the works. We're looking to get her in with some really cool producers very soon. I've got a friend who, fingers crossed, is going to do some writing with her. Uh, and then the most recent band I started working with, um, actually, again, was through the studio. They're a band called Rick. They have, uh, they've just done, I think it was it. Actually, I don't know, yeah. I can't say officially. They've just done a lot of recording with us at the studio. Um and like I just became really good friends with them over the last few months, and we've got a really, really interesting project that we're putting together that will involve some really cool stuff, and that's all kicking off early next year. So I've just sort of started. I start like I started working with them on a casual basis, giving them some advice, and then it was like, well, why don't you like represent us in a sort of casual sense? And then it turned into like we basically sat down and planned everything, and we were like, well why don't I just properly manage you? Like, we, we sat and looked at the plan and we're like, if we can pull this off, why are we wasting time looking at other managers? So we did that uh, and now we are going full steam ahead to really hit next year hard with all three of them. Uh, I've got, we've got festivals lined up already. There is touring being discussed, but obviously it's uh, not the easiest thing to discuss at the moment. But yeah, we are planning hopefully planning a couple of tours for next year and there's lots and lots of music to be released in the next six months by all of them so yeah it's really exciting times i'm really i mean i'm to answer the question in a sentence i have no idea how i ended up in management (laughs) but i'm glad i did i'm enjoying it Uh, i have a weekly existential crisis when i think do i actually have any idea what i'm doing and then by the end of the week, we calm down and I'm like, yes, I do. And then we go with the whole cycle again and I have the crisis on a Monday and by Friday, we are full steam ahead. So yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting life. It's, um, it's very all over the place. Like this, I sit there and I talk to like the people, I, like the friends that I live with um, who have actual jobs, like real people jobs where they go and actually work and it very much confuses me. Um, I do envy them sometimes, the structure in their lives and the idea of, like, you work from nine till five and you're done. Because uh, I can tell you, music management is definitely not nine to five and you are never done. But it's weird. You, you, go, you go through periods where you, you won't, you'll have, like, four hours in the day where you have absolutely nothing to do. And then an idea will come to you and you work for the next five hours and it's 11 o'clock at night and you're like... I should probably have dinner at this point, um, <laughs> but maybe not. So, what's, uh, so yeah, it's, sorry. Sorry, I was going to say, what what sort of relationships do you have with the bands then? Like, are you um, on a kind of like, call me when you want, or are, is it friendship first and then management second, or 
do you kind of try, try and keep a distance from them, like a professional distance, or how does that work? It's, it's very difficult um, because you have to have that professional relationship, but I'm also a big believer that like you have to get on because if you don't get on, then it's never going to work. So like, I get on really well with all of my artists. Like as I said, like Rick, I was friends with them before I managed them. Lily, I've known for years, and like we just get on. We've got a great team behind her. We all like we're all friends. Like we all support each other outside of like music. But I suppose the thing is, when it comes down to music, the the conversation is professional. But we're also friends outside of it. Like we can go out for a drink and enjoy ourselves, and not be worried about the fact that like we we've got work to do tomorrow. Like we can we have that balance, okay. and I think that's. If you can strike that balance, you're in a really good place. Have um, you had yeah, any yeah. arguments about sort of strategy or, or sound or kind of A&R issues? Um, we don't... We've not, I, there's always little things, because we're, we're, like, with the bands, there's five, we're five people. All with different all opinions. Yeah. In a very close sphere. Yeah. So it's like, there's always going to be different opinions. There's always going to be something that someone does that irks someone else. And you've got to balance that. You've got to, like, part of my job is to navigate that, to uh, placate everyone, make sure that if someone's annoyed someone else, it's okay, we'll sort it, don't worry about it, let's not get ahead of ourselves, and just calm it all down. Um, No, we we haven't had arguments. One of my things is I want them to be able to contribute in every area. If they have an idea, like with Lily recently, we've kind of rethought a bit of the strategy because she came to me and said, look, I've got these ideas that I want to try out. And it's like, fine, yeah, let's work them into our plans. I'm not going to say yes to everything. But if you have an idea, I want you to bring it to me so we can talk about it. And I can either say, look, in my experience, this and this won't work, but we could try this. Or, yeah, I really like that. Let's work that in here and move some other stuff around. I just, I, I like to have an open door because I think, the more ideas that are floating around, the better. Like if we if we limit ideas, then what are we really doing? These and these are creative people as well, so kind of their bag is having ideas. Like why why stop them from having ideas? So what are your what? Where do you see your boundaries as a manager? Like are you getting involved in the songwriting process, or are you getting involved in just the strategy, like the business side of it, or the relationships? Where 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 are your boundaries? Um. Well, my boundaries are very different to what they were like three months ago. So I don't want to say I have set boundaries. Like on the last Sandcastle, I've written on one of the Sandcastle Jesus tracks that we just recorded um, because we had a very open writing process at the studio. Um, I mean, that's how we work as a studio is like it's there's a lot of pre-production, a lot of like James contributing on songs. And because I was here the whole time, I inevitably ended up being part of that process so like I mean when my bands are, when my artists are in the studio I like to be there as well because I like to see how they're working and there is an element to like I want to make sure that like what I'm investing in is like, is doing the right thing like if they're in the studio and they're stumbling around not getting anywhere that's a problem so I like to be I like to be part of the creative process anyway but it's also I'm here because I want to keep an eye on things and make sure everyone is working to the best of their ability because I know the people I work with have the talent and the ability but they don't always um, everyone 
regardless of who you are and what you are, everyone can get a bit caught up sometimes. And sometimes you need that push to be like, right, guys, yeah, it's cool, like we're having some fun, but we've got an album to record, so let's get to it. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have set boundaries. Um, all the songwriting in its infancy goes on outside of everywhere like I'm not involved in any of that um, I happen to get involved in the Sandcastle Jesus stuff uh, I'm I've been part of conversations on songwriting with Rick like it's I want to contribute wherever I can um, whether that whether the most effective thing is for me to have no influence on the creative side of it like ha- let them completely work on the songs if that's the best approach then so be it if I can contribute to writing a song then I'll contribute to writing the song. It's sort of, it's a very much, um, depend, it depends on, it's a very situational approach, really. And so, um, do you feel pressure doing your job? Like responsibility? Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of pressure. Um, there's a, like, because I've got a management company now, uh, Peanut Butter Management, uh, and that's all me. Um, so there's pressure on the fact that, like, with what I do right now, especially, like the highs are my own, but the lows are my own as well. There's no one to lean on. Like part of my job as a manager is I have to help. Um, I like I have a, an obligation to make sure my artists are doing okay outside of like the business side of things. Like if there's something wrong, like I have to make sure I. I need to make sure that they're doing all right, and there's there is that element to it, but it's not a two way thing, and that's I suppose where part of the professional relationship comes in. It's not my place to take my problems to my artists; they can bring them to me, and that's part of my job. But I don't put it on them. And hello. My name is Bernard, 2001. You might recognise me from my collaborations with Radiohead and Stephen Hawking. I actually did a lot of his heavy lifting for him. Anyway, I'm here to tell you about Best Days Vintage. If you like sustainable vintage fashion, feel-good prints and positive well-being, then they're the guys for you. Visit them at 40 Elf Lane, Colchester, or online at bestdaysvintage.co.uk. Peace out, mother crushers. That's where it, it is a fact that like, the lows are your own. You don't mm. share those with anyone else. And... That can weigh heavy sometimes. If you do something and it doesn't work as well as you wanted it to, you have to live with that and you have to sit down and think, where did I get it wrong? If no, like in other jobs, you've got a whole room full of people that are all doing the same thing and it's like, well, I made a mistake. Uh, what do you think? With this, it's, I made a mistake. What have I done wrong? How can I fix it? And you just have to like sit with it and work through it. 
So that's, for example, um, say you're working towards, I don't know, rec- aiming for record deals and yeah. and just struggling to get a bite or pe- and you're like, what what's going wrong here? And that sort of thing. Is that the sort of thing you're talking about? Like the pressure? Like, do you take the responsibility? Do you, do you shoulder the burden for that? Or do you think, or do you work as a team with the band and say, this is this or that? How does that relationship work? Those difficult conversations. So, what that, I mean, in terms of record deals, that's basically the next six to 12 months. That's what my focus is basically for all my artists in the next six to 12 months because it's what's needed to take the next step. Like, we have no budget. We, I, I, don't, I can't invest money in it, really. I can invest myself, my time, my expertise. The band can invest a little bit of money, and that's, to, that's like recording costs at the moment. And outside of that, like all of our promotion is either like a £20 Facebook ad or it's an idea, and the ideas come from me. I am the promotion for the bands. So it's like, what stunt are we going to pull that's going to cost us no money and get us out there a bit more? Like, getting into magazines. If I, so if I believe in the track, which is kind of like a prerequisite for me to work with them, I then shoulder the burden of, right, why are we not getting a review in NME? Obviously, it's not as easy as that, but why are we not getting into X? Why are we not getting into Y? Why are we not getting more interest on social media? Why are we not getting this? Why are we not getting that? And that all comes, to me, that all comes back to me because that's my side of things. They make the music, they perform the shows i have to sell the shows i have to sell the music that's what i do i i'm so you take a lot you take a lot of the burden on yourself then yeah rather than because as a band it's like in this day and age i always think there's like a bit of a kind of give and take with that right like bands have to kind of shoulder a bit of that responsibility as well because they're the ones that should be talking to fans or talking back and forth to yeah um Obviously, at the moment, that's a lot harder because, like, if, I mean, there there is an obligation on their side to get themselves out there where possible. Yeah. But for me, like, I have a lot of, like, what does my job consist of? Yeah, yeah. A lot of it is promoting that band and making sure more people hear them, more people are interested in them and all of that. And if I'm not doing that or it's not going as well as I'd hoped, because, like, I mean, I set a lot of targets for myself internally about like where i want us to get to i've got a whole um i have a, a spreadsheet to uh, that i call overcoming the clusterfuck which is basically uh taking us from everything that's happened this year that's derailed loads of plans and how we're going to get past that to achieve our goals in the first half of 2021 and a lot of that is involved in like a lot of that involves these things like promoting the band, getting their deals, getting them in big publications, getting them tours, setting up the tours, and that's all me scheduling what I want to, what I want us to do. But in my in my head, that's on me because that's my role. Like if you take that, if you take that promotion out of it, my role is massively diminished. And it's like, what am I here for if I'm not doing these key things that? I believe I should be doing. Like, we don't have a PR team, we have me. We don't have a booking agent at the moment, we have me. There's all the things we're looking at, but right now, that's on me because that's the stage that we're at as a company and as the artist that I'm working with. So there's a lot of pressure on me. Yeah. I I look back and 
uh, our experience with uh, managers, and I, I try and remember if we sort of appreciate what the managers were going through, like mentally, because we, we very much blamed ourselves, I think, for everything. <laughs> We were very much like, well, it must be us, our songs aren't good enough, because that's the kind of people we were. We were very sort of, uh, what's the word, self-deprecating and quick to blame ourselves yeah. with, it, with everything. It was always our fault. But I didn't even stop to think, probably, what the manager was thinking and their, their side of thing and try and empathise with them, because they were, like you say, probably taking that burden on themselves. Then. Whilst we, we were blaming ourselves, they were probably blaming themselves as well. We, we, had, we, we had, over our years, probably... F- six managers seven mm-hmm. managers and probably four of them had mental breakdowns <laughs> yeah and it wasn't because not, we not were, to scare you yeah, it wasn't because we were beating them up it was because I think they felt the responsibility yeah. of the if it wasn't working they blamed blame themselves they, you yeah know. Bec- I suppose because like you they were such big fans of our music that's why they took on the gig they wouldn't they wouldn't consider that it was just mm. that the music wasn't good enough and then the manage- and then the big management labels we went with they just didn't give a fuck yeah so it was the, the it was the solo the solo flyers managers were the ones that really cared. Yeah, and it's get, I suppose it's the perfect manager. You get that that balance of that personal touch. Somebody who knows you inside out, knows what makes you tick, and kind of can really appeal to the you know knows how to play up to the certain egos and kind of mm. get involved. Know when to get involved in the music, know when to take a step back, but then also has the clout. To, and the contacts, the contacts. That's I suppose that's the dream. Yeah, it's a, it is a tough, tough one. Um, I think the issue is like nobody ever really hits that sweet spot mm. because you you fall into too many traps. You either your ego gets too big and you lose the personal touch, mm-hmm. or you don't quite get the right contacts yet. And it's sort of you're always in that middle ground. If you can get, if you can stay in that middle ground, I think you'd be pretty good. Yeah. Um, but I mean, one thing a lot of people don't think about is like the success of like the manager doesn't get paid unless the band get paid. And there's also that stress to it. Like if something's not going right, it's not a matter of well, I don't get my bonus. It's I don't get any money. I, I can't pay my rent unless the band sell out their show. Um, and at a certain level, that can be very, very difficult. Um, thankfully, I'm not in a position like that. I have another income stream that supports me in that side of things. But the more you focus on managing, the more time you spend on managing, the more pressure it is that they have to be performing. And that can also put a strain on the relationship between the artist and the manager because it's, it's not necessarily the best system in the world. But it's the system we we have and the system that the industry works on. Um, but yeah, there's, I mean, one thing I've another thing I've experienced is there's a lot of really really good managers out there, but there's a lot of really really bad ones as well. And sometimes people get unlucky, and their first experience is a bad one, and it's hard to come back from that. Mm-hmm. But we got like unlucky five or six I'm, I'm sort of not on the bad side, at least. <laughs> Yeah. So how, what was it you? I'm going to talk about Sandcastle Jesus because we know them. But what yeah. was it about them that you that you saw? Was it what was it potential or what was it that you saw in yeah. them that you thought potential. I'm willing to put myself I think, out there? I see a lot of talent in the forum. I see a lot of talent as a band. Um, yeah, I can just I just see like 
I've, se- I've heard people talk about them. I've seen the videos of their live shows. I've seen how much people, like, when someone lives, the videos I've seen of their live shows, you can see how much people love it. And that's a big thing for me. Like, if, if people love some, if people love their music, then it's not, they're not that far away. Like, it's, um, my rule is it's all about creating an emotional attachment to the band. People have to, if you, if people create, if people become emotionally attached to the band, you're sorted. Never try and sell a song. A song is a means to selling the band or the artist. You're selling a song, you've fallen down the wrong path. And what I saw is people that loved, like, that really enjoyed the band and loved the band. And I heard the music they were working on and I met them, met them as people. And I thought, you know what? Yeah, there's something I can work with there. Um, I think they can, they can do some really cool stuff. And I think when everyone hears the next set of tunes that we've got coming out, they'll see exactly why if they haven't already with bombshells i think the new tunes show a whole nother side to them as artists um so yeah i i see a lot of potential in them and i think we are starting to realize that potential and when they get gigs back then you'll really really see what we're working towards um yeah so you have like a six month a six month to 12 month strategy for them about where you yeah i mean we've got a, a very rough three year plan um, and we've got a, a much more detailed plan for the next. The moment is for the next sort of four months because I, we can't really plan further ahead than that because of the situation. Like, can't book a tour yet because we might not have tours back till the end of next year. I'd like to book a tour for the start of next year. Well, second quarter of next year, maybe. But. Whether we can do that will remain to be seen. So it's it's difficult. We we have we have plans and we have plans for plans and plans for plans for plans. But like, there's only so far you can do. There's so much you can plan before you just sort of run out of ideas. Like you, everything will be based on. I mean, most of it will be based on whether we can play live shows. If we can play live shows everything will be accelerated because they're best when they're live on stage. Like that's, that's what they are as a band. They're great live. So People think, love them live. So in the kind of like the list of importance, like touring and live shows is more important, do you think, than, than the songwriting process? Is that right? Because you're saying about how you can sell the band and not the song. Yeah. Um, it's difficult. You need, you need great songs. As I said, like you, the songs are a means to selling the band. If you don't got good songs, then you're finished in the first place. Like music is about the songs, but on my side, it's like the commercialization of it, which I hate. I hate the phrase. Like, I hate the idea of commercializing music, but unfortunately, it's part of my job. But the commercialization of it is a commercialization for me of the band rather than the song, because. You have to go through that process every time you put a new song out. If you're selling a song, if you sell the band, then it does it for you. Um, it's a difficult question because, yeah, songs are really important. Like, I've listened to probably, like, what, 50 songs, 60 songs today. So songs are important, and the recording and writing of songs is really important. But we all 
want to listen we all want to see it live that's the key so it's so i mean i think it's probably a like a 50 50 kind of thing having great songs is really important but like if you can't play them live you lose an element to that song that's really important like bombshells is when we get when once they're back i mean I, i've seen them live or uh since bombshells came out because i've been at the live stream shows but when we get a crowd back there and they play bombshells again, it's going to be brilliant. Like it's going to be. I mean, we've got we've got a gig actually, the sixth of December at the Amersham Arms. Fingers crossed. Still up in the air after today's announcement, but fingers crossed we have that coming on the sixth of December. But when we get proper crowds back, it's going to be amazing. I'm really really looking forward to them doing live shows when we get crowds proper. Full crowds because this is all this is a seated gig like tables of six, so it's going to be great. Don't get me wrong, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be an amazing gig. We've got so much new stuff lined up, but we're all still waiting for the day we get the proper crowds back because that's when that's when you get the real feel of a gig. So yeah, I mean I think it's fifty fifty. The great songs are really really important. Touring's really really important. It's just sort of almost a. Yeah, what's what's the most thing. important thing now for like spreading the word for like artists? Is it like getting the songs on Spotify or like platform social media, or is it like the touring? What do you think? Or merch? I don't know what else. I mean, I think it's really a combination. Like it's massive. Like you get a playlist. You get uh, Spotify editorial playlists. Your song could hit. 50, 60,000 without that much, 50, 60,000 streams without that much promotion. Um, Spotify algorithms, like the algorithmic playlists can get you, like, this is, these are these figures that I'm talking about, like, small, up-and-coming independent bands, but they could get, the algorithm could get you 10 to 20,000 listens, and that's all massive. If people listen to it on a playlist and like it, and then, like, follow you on Spotify then they get your next song automatically when it comes out in their Discover Weekly. So the Spotify playlisting is really useful. Social media is a much better barometer of how big you're getting because that's people who are actively following you and actively engaging with you on a regular basis. So you can tell like how many people are really thinking about you on a regular basis. And then touring... <sighs> So for us, like, if we can sell out a headline tour next year, that'd be huge. That'd be really, really important for us. But the other thing is, like, a support tour would be huge. If we got a support tour with, like, a decent-sized band, that could sell out the next tour. Like, I was talking to someone last week who runs shows in St. Albans, I think it is, and he was saying how, like, Slaves and the Amazons have both like been involved in their setup where they bring these artists in and they get support shows with bigger local artists. So you then get that crowd, and if that crowd like you, then you can sell out your headline show the next time around. And it's that slow building blocks of like you go, you do two or three nationwide support tours, and you can be set up to go and do a properly big nationwide tour and sell it out, and it's just like. Very few bands get that kind of overnight sensation, um, mainly because there's no such thing as an overnight sensation. 
uh, is always a lot of work, a lot of strategy, and a lot of investment. But very few bands blow up in a very short space of time. There's a lot of bands that grow, and like album three, you can they can get like a top ten hit, but maybe they're sort of languishing in the, the even if they're doing well, they could be sort of from anywhere from a hundred to sort of thirty in the chart with an album, and that's still incredibly successful. But yeah, I mean, I really think it's it is a mixture again of all of them. Like you can never really nail it down to one thing. Um, it also depends on the artist. Like there's there's bands who have blown up using TikTok, and whether they set out a live show, I don't know, but their streaming numbers are good. There's, there's artists with small streaming numbers who would sell out like a, a Kentish Town Forum and that kind of size tour. So it, it kind of depends where your priorities lie and it depends how you measure how big an artist is. It's all really, really sort of, yeah, it's a very difficult thing to quantify, I think. Is there, but, um, you know those Spotify playlists that are kind of the goal to sort of young bands coming through? Yeah. Is, is there a trick to getting on them, or, or is it simply a case of luck or the, just the right uh, person hearing it? There's a lot of luck. A trick everybody there's a lot doing. of who do you know. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of sort of if you've got the right backing. Like, I mean, like the record labels own Spotify, so... If you're on a record, if you're on a major record label, maybe it's a little bit easier. I won't, I won't accuse anyone of anything, but maybe it's a little bit easier if you're on a major label who own the platform. Um, yeah, and it's about who's backing you, really. Mm. Um, you will get people who get through independently, but a lot of the time you're looking at whether you've got a team behind you who have contacts in the right areas. Yeah, they have this uh, submission platform where anyone can send the track in, but there's a reason if you follow it back that very that people from very similar backgrounds are the ones who always tend to go on those playlists because mm. it's bad money. Sure, yeah. isn't it always? So um, I want to move on to um, put you on the spot a little bit. I want to do I want to do our feature band for life. So, we know, I know we gave this to you quite last minute, so I'm so sorry. That's all right. But I'm sure, being a, a regular avid fan of the podcast, you'll know exactly what <laughs> you're this, expecting it, right? What this feature is. Um, yeah, I remember it from Sankar to Jesus. Oh, yeah. I, I remember that conversation being had with them. So, uh, you need to give us two bands. One band is your band you'll listen to forever. And one band you would erase from existence. One band or artist. It can be a solo artist. It can be. And you're not killing them. You're just erasing. They just never formed. Ah, uh, well, so, I mean, I've been toying with a few 
Um, there's one band who are really big on TikTok who I really don't like, but I won't call them out for it because uh, it's not probably political. Uh, I would say my band for life, there, there could be like five, but I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna go with themes again. Like I went with the uh, song of the week. We're gonna go with a theme on this one. Okay. My band for life is the Smiths. Ooh, okay. uh, just love the Smiths. Uh, and my band negative one is Morrissey. It's uh, love the Smiths, hate Morrissey. Ooh, blimey! Yeah. Nice twist. That's a, that's that's an exciting one. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. What? Well, okay. Can't do Morrissey. So, what is it about the Smiths that you love so much? Ah, oh, I mean, how many days have we got? Uh, they true, are. It? It's just, lyrics. I mean, lyrically, it was just incredible. Like, from, I mean, some of those songs were yeah. just genius. Uh, the fact, I mean, there's one big marker for me is like whether an album would be big now like one of an album from 30 years ago be big now and I think the Smiths would be big I think all of their stuff would be big I think people would still sort of tune into what they're saying empathise with like the, the feelings that are in those songs I mean there's so I mean like I Know It's Over is such a I mean there's, I, you can I say most people have felt something along the lines of what he talks about in that song. And that's just, to me, that's that, that's an inc- to capture feeling like that in a song is incredibly rare and it's an incredible gift. And I think that was kind of what set them apart. Um, Johnny Marr was obviously a fantastic guitar player, uh, unbelievable guitar player. And Morrissey, when he was younger, was great. Morrissey's lyrics were great. He was a great singer. Great, like he was brilliant when he was younger, and then he fell into this hellhole that he's now ended up in. And unfortunately for some people, he's ruined the Smiths for them. But yeah, the Smiths. I, I the the writing, the performance was amazing as well. Like the way he was a great performer. Okay. Um, yeah, there's just everything about shows. them. Like I, very few artists stand up to that level. Plus, I think it's a great name. I that may be contentious with some people, but I think it's such a great name. It's so simple. Yeah, it's great. It's just like it does really. It, it just really sounds simple, timeless. It? Yeah. So, what is it about Morrissey then that does you noggin in? <sighs> so I'm assuming that he he was allowed to join the Smiths. But then he didn't do his solo career afterwards. He just yes. he became a gardener, yes. a roofer. He kind of he just moved to a forest somewhere and okay. stopped talking ever. Just I mean, there's so much of everyone hates him, him don't they? as a person. Oh, he's a daft racist. Is he a racist? Is he? Yeah. Oh God, yeah, he's awful. Um, oh. As a person, he's just. I mean, his music basically became incredibly average. He, personally, he needed Johnny Marr. There was that relationship between them is what made both of well, Johnny Marston a great guitar player. But it's what made the band so good is how well they created together. I mean, even I know um, it didn't take long for their relationship to deteriorate. And like Morrissey would post cassettes through Johnny Marr's letterbox 
with the words and vice versa or Johnny Marr would post cassettes through Morrissey's letterbox with the guitar on it and then he'd write the song from there that that it was that relationship where they were creatively so good but almost had that friction uh, a bit like Oasis did uh, there was that kind of that added that added element of their personal relationship that created a spark that helped the music and Morrissey lost it when he left when the Smiths stopped being a thing and he stopped working with Johnny Marr and he just fell into this trap of being like a shit old racist basically (laughs) (laughs) not as good as he used to be Um, funny he actually got dropped by his label recently which is uh, Uh even better exactly I haven't really heard him talking his racist stuff but I quite like some of his solo stuff the one about Johnny good... with his gun or something. What's the one about? I've got a gun. The last of the gang. That one. Yeah. Hector was the last. Yeah, of I like the that gang. one. It was a good tune. Yeah. And I spent the day in bed. That yeah, one. That's all right. Yeah. I think it's more his attitude. Isn't it? Hey, hey, chill out. I mean, yeah, that has a massive. Like, it's the one thing with the Smiths is he wasn't like that when he's in the Smiths. So I can listen to the Smiths without that playing into it. But okay. it's very hard to get over the fact he's just a horrible racist. Like, mm. it's. I mean, I know people that have the same issue with Michael Jackson. And Peter Shilton. It's <laughs> <laughs> ruined Shilts for you, isn't it? He is ruined. Yeah, Shilts is lost. You know, he's dead to me, Shilts. <laughs> He used to be your hero. Didn't he? I used to love Shilton. You know, yeah, Peter. You know Peter Shilton? Yeah. Of course you do. Yeah, yeah. I used to love Peter Shilton. But he was a footballer. Yeah, of course. But I don't. Yeah, I used to, yeah, it's be a bit of a hero of mine. I, to, I had a, the the video Shilts Shilts his best saves. <laughs> but yeah, he's a stocking filler. Yeah, his opinion nowadays is a uh, oh no, his Brexit opinions. Yeah, he's Brexit scum. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I know you mean. Browns done the same thing oh like, yeah who Ian Brown oh, he's well he's anti anti-masks oh is and, he uh, anti-vax I think yeah he's I know you just do... that's why you should never make your heroes be quiet like, like, if they could just be quiet like when they finished especially mm. when they're out of the band please just be quiet just disappear gracefully yeah like, well, you know, get shot like John Lennon. Yeah. You imagine what John Lennon's opinions <laughs> well, would be the, now the dancer from E17 the backing guy he's become a roofer <laughs> Yeah, good on his job. Just get on with it. <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much for um, it's spending been very the interesting. time with us. What's the time? No, it's, it's been, been a pleasure. Been... Thank you very much for having me. Um, Absolute pleasure, mate. It's you know, it's good so... to get a different side because I, I genuinely believe that. Like, it's important for artists listening to appreciate the mental health of their managers. Yeah. If nothing else. And I think yeah. if anybody has been thinking about kind of getting into management, because I know it's a lot of people who... Maybe they want to get in music, but they're not particularly musical. It's an it's an avenue, yeah. an avenue that like a referee. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and that very much part of your role, refereeing. Uh, yeah. uh, yes, band um, yeah. arguments. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, actually, yeah. So um, give us any any forthcoming stuff that we. Sh- yeah, what, what do you want to promote? Yeah, our Japanese fans want to know about. Oh, so this so Sandcastle Jesus on Instagram. We've got this Friday. We have the second part of our three live sessions of Get Them Be Heard. And then the Friday after that, we have part three. Uh, the 
Sunday the 6th of December at the moment. We have a gig at the Amersham Arms, so get your tickets for that. Uh, if you buy your tickets and send us the confirmation, you're entered into a competition to win a limited, a one-off, left knocked out EP slash bombshells cassette with some left knocked out merch, and second prize is a poster. So go and get your tickets. Come along; it's going to be brilliant. Really looking forward to it. The first live music we've had in God knows how long. So definitely come to that if you're in. Well. Don't know. Doesn't matter where you are. Get your tickets. Come down to London for the day. It's going to be really, really good. Uh, we've got this Friday on Lily underscore Music underscore. We have her first live cover going out. I think it is live cover or a live version of her single. One of the two. Haven't quite decided yet. But yeah, there's going to be a live music on Lily's Instagram this Friday. Uh, Keep an eye out. Rick have a lot of stuff coming. Look out for them January. January, we've got some massive, massive announcements. It's Rick's Instagram is Rick Band, I believe. Uh, is it R-I-K or R-I-C? That is one problem with it. R-I-C underscore band. Get on that. We've got some massive announcements coming. They've got loads and loads of music stored up. Um... Sandcastle Jesus, keep an eye out for January. We've got something coming in January, something new. That's going to be fun. Uh, and then Christmas as well. I know the chronology is all over the place here, but Christmas, keep an eye out. We've got more live sessions from Lily and maybe even a Christmas song coming. So, uh, yeah, keep missing out for all of that. And then, uh, yeah, follow Peanut Butter Management on Instagram. And you can keep in the loop with everything that's happening with all, all of the artists. Wicked. Yeah, that's it. You got anything to promote, Jez? Uh, well, no. But oh. we, we've got a Christmas song coming up very soon. We have, yeah. Freddie was editing the video today. Nearly finished. Very exciting. Join our mailing list to get a world exclusive of that video. Go to bestdaysvintage.co.uk to sign up. There you go. There you go. Plug I would promo. As a subscriber currently, I would recommend signing up. Plugfest. Good work. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we're going to be do. We're going to try and do a Sandcastle Jesus cover at some point. Me and Jez. Yeah. Oh, excellent. That's going to be a, a semi-regular feature. We're going to cover bands sort of local to the area that we like. Oh, we brilliant. did. We did a Robber Jaw one last week. Oh, I saw something about. I, I I didn't see it, but I saw something about Robber Jaw on the yeah. uh, social media. We did, yeah. Me and Steve did a little cheeky cover. Excellent. Yeah, uh, Sandcastle are on the list. Yeah. yeah, they're on the list. Oh, Lily is from Colchester as well. So Ooh. yeah, we just put her. Oh, we'll get, yeah, in. we'll get her on the playlist. Definitely, I'll send it over to you. Yes, Sweet. Yeah. All right. Nice one. Okay. Well, awesome. thanks everyone for listening to Foul Rockstar Club podcast. Podcast that has been talking to a band manager about his journey in music, <coughs> bands, stuff. And a bit of fashion. Don't be yeah, well, there was a bit of fashion in there, yeah. And, and yeah. mental health. And mental health. Yeah. So, tick, 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 tick. All the things we like to talk about. Win. Uh, so, yeah, this will be... At, oh, there's no point saying it'll be out Wednesday. <laughs> it is if you're listening to this, it is Wednesday. it's just come out. Well, I'm... I wonder what Tuesday was like. Yeah, happy to get Tuesday. Uh, okay, well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us, Fergal. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for having me, guys. And we'll tag... Uh, we'll tag um, the management label. So we tag the management label in it? 
Yes, 100%. Okay. And we'll hopefully see you at a gig soon. Definitely, definitely. And uh, when I'm back in Essex, I'll pop into the shop. Love the old job. Awesome. Thank you very time. much, guys. I'll speak to you soon. Toodle pin. Take care, buddy. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye. There you go. So that was the end of that. He's gone. That's just me and Jess and Megan. Uh, so, okay, thanks everyone for listening. Um, <laughs> Good commentating. <laughs> That's podcasting. This is commentating. Scratching my arse now. Yep. He's looking good. He's wearing a gilet, yeah, as you'd expect. Standard. Standard. No nose ring, the, but a gilet. The dog passed wind, didn't he, in the middle of he that? Did. He yeah. did. And then you passed wind, straight after. <laughs> yeah. Like the father, dogs, like son. The dog was silent. Yours was less so. I imagine it was picked up by this highly sensitive... Yeah. Microphone. So, yeah. Anyway, you, lucky you didn't uh, get to smell that. Smell-o-vision. So, bye. Speak to you next week. Love you. Bye.